Well, we've been faithful to our long-standing tradition in this church. Um, we begin each new year with the same warning and the same exhortation. Um, each new year we begin uh, standing at Kadesh Barnea on the border of the Promised Land with those two million Jews. And we watch them shrink back from trusting and believing and claiming the promises of God. We saw again that God was there and the promise was there, but the Jews would not believe and they would not go in. They decided, as Oswald Chambers says it, they, they came to that hard place and instead of deciding for God, they decided against God. They decided that claiming God's promise looked too risky. Do you remember? It just looked too risky to them. They didn't believe God was God enough to keep His promise. We've been warned after going to Kadesh Barnea of the t- tragic consequences of unrisky disobedience. And that's the warning I want us to enter into the new year with. Risky obedience is what we will... That will be our call for the new year. We will not be afraid to obey the Lord even when it looks risky. We've been warned because we saw uh, all of those people who refused to trust the Lord. What happened? They came under the judgment of God and they died in the wilderness. So we resolved after uh, studying the, the account there of Kadesh Barnea, we've resolved in 2010 that we will not shrink back. We will not shrink back from obeying the Lord. We will hear His call. We will claim His promise. And we will go forward with Him in 2010, even if it looks hard, even if it looks risky. Also, uh, in this new year, we've already stood with Gideon and his 300 men, outnumbered 450 to 1. We saw God come to Gideon and, and invite him into the Hall of Fame of Faith. You remember what we talked about last week? And God challenged Gideon to become God's miracle. God's going to challenge some of you uh, this year to be His miracle, to be His provision in your circumstance or in the circumstance in your church or in your family or at your work. We saw God transform Gideon before our eyes from a farmer making excuses to a valiant warrior getting the victory. We saw that risky obedience is ultimately a call to joy. Obedience is always a call to joy. (laughs) This is the implicit truth we learn in the Scripture. Obedience, when God calls us to obedience, it's always a call to radical joy. We saw that our Father knows what to do with the impossible. He does whatever He pleases with the impossible as He routed the enemy, the Midianites and the Amalekites, standing before Gideon in his paltry 300 men. So after revisiting Gideon's story, we resolve in 2010 in the words of Caleb uh, that by all means we will obey the Lord. Amen? By all means in 2010 we will be God's people. We will believe God is able. We will believe God is faithful. We will believe God is omnipotent. And we will follow Him. No matter how hard or how risky it might look. We will obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy 
in 2010. That's our, that's our resolution. That's our resolution every year in this church. And I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you as an individual believer to own that for yourself and to live that in the coming year. So every year we begin uh, by remembering the, t- the tragic consequences of disobedience to the Lord and the utter joy and exhilaration of believing and acting on the promises of God. I pray that, that we have all clearly heard the Lord on this. This is both a warning and an exhortation as we enter this new year. It's both a warning and an exhortation. And I hope that some of you have already begun to live this resolution, not in some passive way, not in some, you know, I'm not in church affirming the truth of what's being said way, but in a way like, I can't wait to get up in the morning to follow Jesus with glad, reckless joy. It doesn't matter what it's about. It doesn't matter how hard it is. We're going to go with Jesus. We're going to walk with the living God no matter what He calls us to do. So I'm I'm challenging you uh, at the beginning of this new year to obey the Lord at every turn, no matter how hard it looks in your marriages, in your relationships, uh, in your church, in your vocation and career, uh, in your studies, uh, with your gifting, to to use it by loving loving and serving the body here at the International Church of Milan, with your talents, with your money, with your possessions, with your lives. As I said last week, to give yourself away to Jesus, maybe like you never have before. 2010, it's going to be about Jesus. 2010, it's going to be about what He wants in my life. Preeminently, what He wants in my life. Not preeminently what I think I want in my life, but what God wants in my life. 2010 is God's. I'm giving it to Him. That's my call to you, Christian friend. That is my exhortation to you as your pastor and your preacher tonight. Give 2010 to the Lord. Maybe like you never have before. It's His. It's not yours. We've talked about this so many times. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's never going to be about you. It's about Him. Colossians 1.16, we're going to study that text in, in the coming weeks. We were made by Him. And why else were we made? For Him. Friends, I'm calling you to live like you really believe that you were made by Him. And you were made for Him. So I'm calling you to live uh, real life, living and breathing biblical Christianity. We read our Bibles, we cannot help but see it in the lives of God's people. Sold out faith. Isn't that what we see on the pages of Scripture? Extravagant faith. Life altering faith. Never look back faith. Radical risk taking faith. Isn't that what we see on the pages of Scripture? And I'm loving you enough as your pastor to call you to that very kind of life. Risk taking life-altering, walk-on-water kind of faith, glad, reckless joy kind of faith. This is how God has called us to live, friends. This is how God expects His children to live. It's called Hebrews 11. We know what Hebrews 11 is about. It's about real faith. 
It's about authentic, genuine, biblical faith. And it always goes with God. It doesn't matter how hard it looks. It doesn't matter how inconvenient it is. It it just doesn't matter. We're going to go with God. And again, that's what I'm calling you to in 2010. In one of his books, John Eldridge, he's an American author, he asserts that if you walk into your average church in America, you will find a lot of bored people. Unfortunately, John Eldridge is right, but what I want to say to you is that's not genuine Christianity. That's a man-made, watered-down, lukewarm counterfeit. What, What Eldridge is really talking about, he's talking about going into churches and being amongst people who have never yet met Jesus Christ. Because if you have met Him, I promise you, you are not bored with Him. And you are not bored with the life He's called you to live. Man, all we've got to do is read our Bibles. Bored Christianity is an oxymoron. And if you're bored as a Christian, if your life is boring to you, I want to I submit to you that somewhere along the line, you left off following Him. You're no longer hot on the heels of Jesus Christ. It's an oxymoron of bored Christians. Real Christians do Hebrews 11. We live by faith. We talked about it last week. Jesus, well, the Lord says many, many times in the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, my righteous ones shall live by faith. And I promise you, friend, if you're living your faith, you are not going to be bored in your Christianity. That's just not going to happen. That is not going to happen. So this week as I began to turn that page, as I said to you, I was going to begin my preparations. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the book of Colossians and we're going to go through that great little epistle. And I was excited about it, but the Lord kept saying in my spirit, He says, remind my people one, about one more thing in 2010. Remind them that they're aliens and exiles on the earth. You guys know this, right? You all know this? You're not here to stay. You're here to go. And you're passing through. We talk about it all the time. You're passing through quickly. The Lord said, Remind my people that every day of 2010 is a stewardship before me. I want to remind you that every day you live in 2010, it's a stewardship before the Lord. He's left you on this planet. We'll talk more about it in a few minutes. To do spiritual business. That's why you're still here. You're here to do spiritual business for the glory of Jesus Christ. God said, remind my people about their true home, the new heaven and the new earth. We did a a sermon series on this uh, early last year about heaven. Friends, God means for us to be jazzed about it. Let me ask you, how long has it been since you thought about heaven? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or, or admit to it. But listen, friends, we need to be thinking about it. It needs to be in our thinking all the time. I would submit daily. We should be thinking and meditating about heaven. God says, remind my people to be preoccupied with me and their ultimate home, the new heaven and the new earth. And God says, tell my people to run to the Bema seat. If you don't know what the Bema Seat is, we'll talk more about that. So I wanted to read that text, and Rennell read that for us. Uh, I like what the Apostle Paul says about uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It's, he's basically saying, if this is real to you, 
If you're really a Christian, live like it. This is what he's saying. He said, stop looking at the things of the world and fix your focus on the things of heaven. Fix your focus on God, on Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Don't be preoccupied with temporal things, but be preoccupied with eternal things. Let me ask you, Christian friend, does that describe you? Are you preoccupied with the things of God? And with your future home. And are you, as we're going to talk much about tonight, laying up treasures in heaven? You know what? Jesus exhorts us. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let me ask you. Are you busy doing that? God expects us to be busy doing it. Is it a priority for you? Does it register when you wake up in the morning? Today... I will lay up for myself treasures in heaven. This is the command of God. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. So if you're serious about living this life in Christ, he says, act like it. And I'm exhorting you, Christian friend. 2010, give it to Christ. 2010, give it to the Lord. Eugene Peterson continues, Don't shuffle along with your eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ, where the action is. See things from His perspective. I'm challenging you, Christian friend. Let 2010 be lived from God's perspective, not from your own. Let it be lived from God's perspective. So as we begin this new year, I'm going to remind you that real Christians are always called to take the long view. We're not called to worry about what might happen this afternoon or this evening or tonight or tomorrow or next week or next month. We're preeminently to be preoccupied with eternity. And that's what I want to remind you to do in 2010 and I want to challenge you to do that. We are not here to stay. We are here to go. I've shared this story with you before. John Piper is uh, the, the pastor of a very large church. He averages one uh, funeral a month for many, many, many years. And I liked what he said. He said, you know, if you... He's talking to his congregation. He said, you know, if you stood with me by that hole in the ground and that pile of dirt every month, some of you would not live like you live. Amen? If death was that real to you, Some of you would not live like you live. You would have an eternal perspective. And friends, I'm trying to lovingly challenge you to enter the new year with that kind of perspective. Looking at eternity. Not wholly preoccupied. I'm not saying we don't have temporal concerns and, and obligations. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying our preeminent concern and obligation and the thing that we look most forward to is heaven and being with God in heaven. So my challenge to you is, is to run to the Bema seat. Say, what's the Bema seat, Jim? Some of you may not even know what the Bema seat is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where you and I, all believers, will stand before Christ and give an account of our stewardship before Him. Everybody know what the Bema seat is? That's, it's not about sin. It's not about salvation. It's not judicial. 
What it is, is where we give an account to our God for the life we've lived in the flesh, in the body, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just read it to you quickly for... We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Some of you may remember that when we were doing our our sermon series on heaven, we talked about that Olympic marathon runner. Does anybody remember? You remember what I said about that man? It's no accident that he's ascending the platform to receive the gold medal. It's not an accident. It's not a serendipitous event. Why is he ascending the platform to receive the gold medal? Tell me, somebody tell me why. Because his whole life has been about that. Almost every waking hour, he's been dreaming about the day he would ascend that platform and receive that gold medal. And friends, the analogy is perfect. You and I are supposed to be thinking about the Bema seat like that. Our life is supposed to be built around the Bema seat. It's not to be built around Jim Albright and all of his petty temporal concerns. It's to be built around what I can do with the gifts and possessions and money God has given me to invest in the kingdom for the glory of Christ. For the, the, the sanctification of, of sinners, the, the uh, conversion of sinners, the edification of the saints. Friends, we're supposed to live... <laughs> with that with that heavenly view. And that's what I'm trying to exhort you to do tonight. I want you to be ready for the Bema Seat. I want you to be like that marathon runner. I want you to be living with that in view every single day. And I want it to be your goal to hear those awesome words from Jesus. Well done. What will Jesus say? Well done, faithful servant. For you who have been uh, faithful in little, I will put you in authority over much. Friends, I'm challenging you to, to give 2010 to God like that. Like you, like you really believe what He says about the Bema Seat. Like you really believe that God's a rewarder. Not only is God a rewarder, He's an extravagant rewarder. And I'm challenging you to believe that and to live that. Paul says, I run with an aim. How does Paul run? He just wants to get by. He just hopes he finishes. He's just going to do the best he can. How does Paul run? To win. Let me ask you, Christian, how are you running? Are you taking this whole thing serious? Does God's Word, is it, is, is it alive and well in your life? Does it mean something when you wake up in the morning? Are you running to win? Are you like Paul? You know, Paul just was jazzed about pleasing God. Christian friend, are you jazzed about pleasing God? Let me ask you, what do you have on your agenda this week more important than pleasing God? Anyone? Then do it. Do it. Give 2010 to Jesus Christ. Give it to the Lord. Paul was a driven man and I'm challenging you to be the same. That Hebrews 11, you have to love it. You know, God says, God defines faith And then he illustrates faith. And then you get down there in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and then God says, you go live that that kind of faith. He says, you see how they did it? He says, you see how those men and women in Hebrews 11 did it? Then he says in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, he says, I want you to go do it. It's just like what we saw God do in Gideon's life last week. God looked him in the eye. He says, hey, you 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 think Israel needs to be delivered from the Midianites? You go do it. 
have I not sent you? Isn't that awesome? God really expects us to live, Hebrews 11. I mean, Christianity is not some dead and, and dusty and boring religion. Christianity is walking with God and He expects His people to actually believe what He says and to do it. And Christian friend, I'm challenging you tonight with all the passion I can muster. Give 2010 to God. Give 2010 to God. Give it to God. God says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles you. And He says, Run with endurance the race set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Again, I love how the message paraphrases it. Let me share it with you. Uh, it says, strip down and start running. He says, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Christ who uh, both began and finished this race, study how He did it. Listen to this. This is the sermon because He never lost sight of where He was headed. Let me ask you, friend, do you know where you're headed or do you, have you lost sight of where you're headed? As a Christian, listen to what He says. He never lost sight of where He was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Friends, you're supposed to build your life around the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat. You should be thinking about the Bema Seat. You should be meditating on the Bema Seat. When you're going to look to your Lord and Savior in the eye and you're going to give an account of your stewardship. What an awesome challenge from God for 2010. Be living for the Bema. Run for the Bema. Point to the Bema where you will stand and give an account to God in Hebrews 12.1, when God talks about running that race, we get a, a great insight from the Greek there because the Greek is, is agnon. It's, it's the root from which we get the word agony. <laughs> Christianity is not, as John MacArthur says, it's not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. That's not what it is. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it costs. And sometimes it's risky. And sometimes you will suffer temporal loss just read all of Hebrews chapter 11. But God says, go with me. God says, go with me. Contrary to the false prosperity gospel preachers and those who dumb Christianity down to merely attending church, sometimes Christianity's hard. Sometimes it's real hard. But what I want to tell you, Christian, God is always faithful. God is always faithful. God's going to walk right through that hard spot with you. And you're going to get on the other side. The Christian never doesn't get on the other side. It always happens like that. It always happens like that. God is a faithful God. He's an awesome God. He's worthy to follow. He's worthy to live for. He's worthy to die for. And I'm challenging you, none of you are probably going to be martyred in 2010. That's probably not going to happen to any of us. Praise God, we live, in, we live in Western Europe. But what I am challenging you to do is to live for Him in 2010. In an extravagant way. In a radical way. So let me ask you, are you running to win? Or are you just coasting with God? If you're coasting with God, I challenge you to repent. I challenge you to run to the Bema seat and be ready to give an account to your awesome God. If you just go to Hebrews 11, I was sharing with 
Tyler this week. If you just go there, you see what part of their fuel was in living those extraordinary lives. Let me just share it with you briefly. Verse 10, they were looking for the city of God. They were looking at heaven. They were looking at the Bema seat. Verse 13, they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They knew they didn't belong here. They knew they were passing through. They knew that this wasn't their home. Their real home is with God. It's in, it's in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 16, these people, these men and women desired a better country, a heavenly one. Friends, that's, that was the fuel for those extraordinary lives. Let me ask you, is heaven fueling your life of faith? It's supposed to. It's supposed to. God, God's heaven, and God's promise of reward in heaven, God means for that to fuel the way you live when you wake up every morning. God means for it to fuel. And you remember what God says about these men and women who live like this. Does anybody remember? There's nothing like this in all the Bible. God says, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Men and women who really live faith, who really do the Word, God says, I am not ashamed to be their God. These are men and women of whom the world is not worthy. What an awesome. I'm trying to give you a gift for 2010. I'm trying to exhort you to give it to God, to live it huge for the glory of Jesus. And I want to remind you to think deeply about heaven, concentrate on it, dream about it, fantasize about it, meditate, up, meditate upon it to the degree that it changes the way you live. It's the fruit of properly understanding what God is saying to us about it. He means for it to, to fuel our lives and to be part of the change in our lives. And I want to encourage you to, to take seriously what Jesus says. How many of you take seriously what Jesus says? Is there anybody in here take seriously what Jesus says? Anyone? We got one person. Oh, we got three. Oh, we got several that take Jesus serious. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 12? He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Did you notice? Yes, God is sovereign, but man is responsible. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. God says, that's up to you. Your stewardship is up to you. You go do it. You go live faith as big as you dare. You go store up as much treasure in heaven as you dare. It's your life. I love that. He says, go lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Is that real to you? Does that factor into the way you live? Do you have that on your calendar in 2010? Laying up treasures in heaven. Laying up treasure. You know, I, I hear people sometimes, they're too spiritual to worry about rewards in heaven. And, you know, I just have to say, well, I think we're ignoring a, a lot of what God has said. God, God, God has told us about reward that it might factor into the way we live this life and prosecute this life. 
Listen to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. He said, Let each man be careful how he builds upon the foundation which is in Christ. If any man builds with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident because the quality of each man's work will be tested by fire. If any man's work remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But himself he shall be saved, yet as though by fire. Friend, this is a story about how you're building on Christ. Christ is the foundation of the church and Christ is the foundation of the individual Christian's life. How are you building on it? Are you building with gold and silver and precious stones, works that are pleasing to God? Or are you building with wood, hay, and and, and straw, works that are not pleasing to God, that have no eternal value? How are you building on the foundation? That's what I want to challenge you about in 2010. Friends, you have unlimited resources. You have no excuse. God has saved you. God has quickened your soul. God has indwelt you with the Holy Spirit. God has given you the Word of God. God has even given us a place to come and worship together to to be encouraged. God has given you everything you need. All we need do is do it. How are you building, friend? How are you building? Are you building with gold and silver and precious stones? I'm challenging you in 2010 to do just that. I'm challenging you to be men and women who really believe God and really obey God. I'm challenging you to to give yourselves away to Him. I'm challenging you to to keep in your head what you want to hear when you stand uh, stand in front of Him at the Bema seat. Well done. Man, that's what I want to hear. Do you want to hear that? How many of you want to hear that? Anybody? There's a few people. I want to hear that. And I know I've failed the Lord All the time. But friends, what does Paul say? He says, I press on. I've not yet arrived. But I press on. And I'm challenging you in 2010, press on, Christian. Press press on. Build with gold and silver and precious stones. Go read the parable of the minas in Luke 19 and the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Just go read them. What does God say? I'm giving my people uh, their lives. I've redeemed them. And He gives us gifts and talents. And He expects us to use them. There'll be an accounting. It happens at the Bema seat. Friend, are you serious about your stewardship? You know what a steward is, right? Everybody know what a steward is? It's one who manages the property of another, the property or finances or the affairs of another. That's why we're here. That's one of the things God has left us to do. We're managing His property. It's all His. All that you are, all that you have belongs to Him. It's not yours. I know most of you think it's yours. It's not yours. It's God's. God means for you to employ your money, your possessions, your talents, your gifts, the the physical energy and vitality and wherewithal that you have for the glory of God. He means for you to invest it in the kingdom of God. That's what God says. That's what He expects. Are you serious about it? I'm just here to challenge you as your pastor. 
I don't know. Maybe it was for me. Maybe this sermon is for me. Maybe you don't need it. But friends, this is how I want to live in 2010. And I was sitting at my desk and the Lord, uh, He said, Jim, how are you going to make this real? And I, he, he wants me to challenge you. As He challenged me, how will this become real in your life before the end of January? What will you do to begin laying up treasures in heaven? How will this become practical and real in your life? I want you to start asking the Lord tonight, Lord, I want to start living like this. What is one practical, practical tangible way that I can obey you in the coming weeks? I'm not talking about pushing this thing off. I'm talking about doing spiritual business for the glory of the Lord. And maybe you need to get jump started. So whatever it is, Hear what God says and do it. I challenge you to do something maybe extraordinary. One of those random acts of glad, reckless, joy, kindness, or generosity, or service, or love before the end of the month. Friends, we ought to be doing that all the time in the body of Christ. We ought to be loving each other like that all the time. We ought to be loving each other like that all the time. So the Lord will come and He will want to know what kind of business we've done with all that He has given us. Just two quick, I don't have time to go into the parables. You go read those. You need to study those and read those. But if you read the parable of the minas and the parable of the talents, you see that God's reward is all out of proportion to anything we do. I love that about those parables. I mean, we're dealing with temporal and finite resources, but God's going to reward us forever. I love that. Our reward is all out of proportion to uh, any of our efforts or investments in the kingdom. The other thing, one of the other things you learn is that uh, our stewardship is actually impacting the scope and dimensions of heaven. We talked a lot about this in our heaven series earlier in the year. Our heavenly reward is based upon our earthly stewardship. When you wake up in the morning, it matters how you live. You know? I know you know this. But what I'm trying to do is drive this home. It matters how you live and it matters forever. How you live tomorrow matters forever. Because as a faithful steward, if you're a faithful steward with tomorrow, God will be rewarding you forever. For that stewardship. It matters. It matters when you wake up in the morning, beloved, how you live and what you do. So my exhortation to you in 2010 is to take your stewardship seriously. I mean really. And maybe some of us need to get before the Lord and be alone with Him and ask Him how we start that process We're not just going to live Christianity like we've always lived it. This is a brand new day. This is 2010. I'm going to radically believe and obey. I'm going to be extravagant with with my stewardship. I'm really going to love and serve God's body like I never have before. I'm going to love and serve His church. I'm going to be a selfless servant. God expects His people to live this life preoccupied with heaven. You're to live your earthly life wholly preoccupied with heaven. I'm going to close with, with a, uh, 
You remember Jonathan Edwards, great uh, theologian, when he was just in his early 20s, he wrote out 70, I think, resolutions about how he would live his life. You remember number 22? Of course you don't, but here it is. To endeavor, young John says, young Jonathan said, to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. What's he saying? I am going to be a good steward because my God rewards His people. He really believes Hebrews 11.6 and He's going to live Hebrews 11.6. And that's what I'm challenging you to do, Christian friend. He goes on, I'm going to do this with all my power, all my might, all my vigor, all my vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way I can think of. Christian, that's what I'm challenging you to. That's the sermon. That's what I'm challenging you to. In 20.10, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's up to you. It's up to you. I was thinking that if we're really thinking rightly about God, we're thinking rightly about our stewardship, and we're thinking rightly about all that He says about heaven, we will understand what Colossians 3, 1 and 2 means. We will not be preoccupied with the things of this world. We will be wholly preoccupied with eternal things, the things of God. And then closing, I just want to say that you know what heaven is all about. God will spend forever giving Himself to His people. He will just continue to give Himself to His people and disclose Himself to His people. It will take forever for us to apprehend and comprehend the fullness of God, which is to say, it will never happen. He will fill our hearts uh, to overflowing forever with joy and delight in all that He is. All of His unspeakable beauty that fills up eternity. Heaven will be jaw-dropping and breathtaking every nanosecond. Friends, I'm trying to encourage you to live for heaven. To live for heaven. It's a tragedy when Christians don't really look forward to heaven. It's a tragedy when Christians don't really believe what God says about it. It's a tragedy when we don't live like heaven is our true home. Friends, God says, I'm there. My people will see my face. You see, it's almost kind of like an insult. It occurred to me in my studies this week. It's almost like an insult that we either don't believe that what God is saying to us, or we don't believe seeing His faith is a, uh, seeing His faith face is worthy. God says, "My people will see my face in heaven." What an awesome! What an awesome truth! What an awesome truth. So, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I could, preach, I could continue on, but I'll, I'll close. Um, I'm going to close with Peter Pan. <laughs> Rennell knows my Peter Pan quote. How many of you already know my Peter Pan quote? Some of you already know. What did Peter Pan say? It's true for every born-again Christian. It's not true for those who are merely religious, those who are trying to perform for God. But for those who belong to Him, those who love Him, those who follow after Him, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are living faith, Peter Pan says, to die would be an excellent adventure. And friends, what I want to say to you, for the Christian, that's true. For the Christian, that's true. Paul is exactly right. To live as Christ, what? To die is gain. Remember that in 2010. 
this year belongs to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I love your word. I love how you never let us get stale. If we're stale, Father, it's because we're not obeying you. It's because we're not hearing you and trusting you. But Father, you're always calling us to that deep and profound and rich and life-altering place. Walking on water faith. Radical faith. Never look back faith. Lord, thank You for reminding us about that as we enter into this new year. What a great time to just drive a stake in the ground. To repent of our sins. To give them up. To give them to You. To receive Your cleansing that only You can provide. And to go forward in righteousness and holiness. Yes, we fall. Yes, we sin. But You're always there. Cleanse us with Your infinite love and mercy and grace. Oh, oh Lord, help us to be a, a, a people who have a hunger and an appetite to do Hebrews 11. Because we really believe what You say about the reward that is there. We really believe what You say about heaven. And we're jazzed, Lord. We're jazzed about heaven. It's important to us Lord, I pray each one here tonight, each one, will give 2010 to You in a new and more profound way. And Father, that we will build 2010 around the prospect of the Bema Seed. And that we will stand before You soon. We will look You eye to eye. And Lord God, we want to hear those awesome and beautiful unspeakable words. Well done. Brother, help us. You know our frame. We are weak and we are frail. And we are apt to become distracted by the things of the world. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord, to give 2010 to You. We pray.